talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello! And welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing, our show where here now in 2021, we take a look back at the seminal work, The West Wing, from a modern socialist leftist perspective. I'm Dave. And I am Stu. And we are here to discuss two episodes uh, that are basically a giant two-parter in that the first one ends with a cliffhanger that the second one picks up right away on. The first one is entitled Separation of Powers and mostly concerns the, well, at least the first half of it, mostly concerns something going on with the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. The second episode is entitled Shutdown and deals with the fallout of the second half of the first episode and most of the second episode, which is the eponymous government shutdown. But before we get there, we're going to start with how the first episode starts off, which is we are in the cold open. We are with the law clerks of the Supreme Court's chief justice. They're having lunch uh, and they're talking about law cases, you know, talking about work <laughs> over lunch as as workers love to do. Yeah. And just like the, the speculating in this just turgid, overwrought fashion about like, oh, well, what if this case comes to review against this standard? Like, yeah, and look... Writing Supreme Court fan fiction over their lunch break. And look, I mean, clerks are workers. Like, I worked in a stupid industry that I would sit and end up talking about work with my coworkers over lunch. So, like, it's not unusual but yeah but the, the whole but they scene, seem happy to do it <laughs> well the whole scene also seems unnecessary it's just like right you you're stage setting via the most insufferable sort of water cooler chat possible <laughs> right well and all of this is just set up to uh the chief justice himself is just sort of muttering some stuff at and then he gets up and he starts taking some like slow paces and then just collapses and they all go, oh my god, and, you know, get an ambulance, and, you know, that that leads us into our credits. And then, so the White House has to deal with, oh my god, the Chief Justice has collapsed. He's not dead, uh, but they have to rush him to the hospital, and it's clear that, you know, his health is failing him at this point. He's, he's not much longer for the world. Yeah, and so we'll get this out of the way very early, and you made a very good note about this, is that this is actually one of the very few things in these two episodes that I will give the writers kudos for because mm-hmm. we have had a constant um, simmering undercurrent for I don't know years, a while on the show. Months. Yeah, at uh, least at, as far as back as season four, if not earlier, about how the chief justice has been going a little nutty. Mm-hmm. He, at first, he started like submitting his writings in verse, like in sonnet form and <laughs> shit like that, and like you know they would get these occasional reports about oh the chief justice is just doing some fucking nutty thing again, and they would just kind of be like ah eh, well what are you gonna do? Yep, well lifetime and, appointment. And, oh well. And yeah, in a in a good bit of uh, mining show continuity, the writers went back to that and said okay well it's come to a head and and he's having a fucking problem now. Uh, we're we're in crisis time, and so the White House has to scramble in response to this and start thinking about potential replacements. And whatnot, and does he even want to step down? Which spoiler alert, he doesn't. Um, and so, yeah, this also brings back uh, Republican lawyer Joe Quincy, played by 
good old Matthew Perry, a.k.a. Chandler from Friends. <laughs> Mr. Chandler Bong. <laughs> yeah, the, the White House's TV guide goes to Miss Jojo Quancy. Quancy? <laughs> Quancy? Um, yeah, so he shows up again um, to because he used to clerk for the Chief Justice at one point. And so he knows him. So Toby enlists his help to go speak with the Chief Justice in the hospital to see if he could possibly get him starting to come to think to the idea of like maybe stepping down uh, because his health, his health is so bad. And, you know, the Chief Justice just does not want to uh, at, at all. But the way Joe Quincy and Toby play politics over this is so weird and arbitrary and and back and forth for for two guys who are in theory working on the same team yeah and 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 as we find out have the same interests at heart yes indeed and so there isn't an even like an ideological conflict here it's strictly one of um like perception and honestly jacking off over the constitution like it's right it literally so immediately go ahead go ahead no 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 uh, immediately Toby goes into as like, oh, I bet you just fucking can't wait for him to to go to shit on the bench because he was a great liberal mind and, and you as a Republican are going to fucking jerk off watching his brain drip out of his ear. And he, Joe's like, no, I love the man. I, I have so much respect for the court. I bet you are just upset that you don't get to replace him with like a 30 year old. And, like, it's just, like, it's this dumb back-and-forth fight. And then they end up being like, no, we both love the Supreme Court so much, actually. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's like, no, 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 I, you love, yeah, man, you, yep, no, you, you. Yeah. And so, like, they kind of come around to this thing. And then they it's end so up. so dumb. Well, and so they, it's just the, the usage of Joe Quincy's character here, A, I'm guessing it was a contractual obligation on the behalf of Matthew Perry. Sure, like, hey, we've got Matthew Perry for X episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we got we got to get him in. And and B, it's just like this is a somewhat arbitrary place to think, like to put him in, but it's mainly as you mentioned sort of by virtue of the fact that he is the quintessential good Republican. Yes. That so Oh, it, a Democratic administration can work with these Republicans. Yeah, he goes on a rant one point about how much he respects the independence of the court as its own branch and that people shouldn't play politics with it as if his own fucking party doesn't, you know, immediately pick some fucking 35-year-old Scalia clone the second there's an opening. Yeah, no shit. And <laughs> it's also, I don't I don't know. It is, there's this, there's a, there's a dissonance in all of the West Wing operatives brains where they seem to be unable to parse that last part that you just said they Mm -hmm. always go and say oh no we won't you know we won't we don't want to play this for our team and they accuse the republicans of trying to play it for their team which of course they're going to do but then the democratic operatives never come around back to the fact that it is now obvious that you should do exactly that that, like, that you should also you play should for your team. also <laughs> be batting for your team. Because what's the fucking point otherwise? Why are you even in office? To, to find those mythical good Republicans and, and work with them. 
Well, and it's especially jarring in the context of these two particular episodes because mm-hmm. the second half... <laughs> they, get, they get so screwed. Yeah, it, I was about to say, it tees up perfectly because this idea that we could just work with Republicans and, and work with them in good faith gets completely shit on by the whole shutdown episode plotline. Well, and so it's it's leading into it in the first one, but let's let's talk a little bit more about the Chief Justice guys. Sure, so basically, before Toby, we get there, yeah. Toby and Joe agree to go see him in the hospital and... Like, oh my god, there's this woman who's one of his clerks, and she's, like, running interference on visitors. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, like god forbid anyone sees that he's, like, sick in the hospital. Like, they have to fucking put up... And then Joe Quincy meekly lies to Toby about, like, oh no, he's fine, he's standing up, he's doing jumping jacks, he's telling jokes, he'll be back tomorrow. You know, and then five minutes later, he's like, actually, he was unconscious the whole time. He looks really shitty. Well, and we see that the audience sees that Joe Quincy goes inside, looks down at this dude, literally conked out in bed with it's not a it's not a ventilator, but it's like he's got the uh, the vaporizer thing attached to his nebulizer mask. So clearly, like, you know, intended to uh, demonstrate to the audience that he's in just fucking rough ass shape. And Joe's like. He does kind of the adorable, like, covers his legs up with the blanket, pulls the blanket up on it, and then goes out and lies to Toby for... A, no reason. A reason? <laughs> I don't know. And then immediate, like, not immediately, but, like, shortly Two minutes thereafter, later. walks the lie back and is just like, oh, okay, okay. I'd- and then they just end up trading stories about how cool they both think Mr. Chief Justice is. And... You get, it's just so weird. I mean, it's just so petty on behalf of this character that, again, is we are attempting to communicate to the audience that this is the, quote, good Republican with whom you can work in the administration. And not only that, last time we saw him, he was so sharp, he blew open the whole pres- vice president's affair situation. Yes, yes. You uh, know, this is a sharp, a sharp and smart man who also is a petty liar. Yeah, and for... Abs- like and absent like the whole you know lying to your coworker i guess on a matter of national importance thing it's just for no gain so he's a, a political naive too it doesn't get you anything to lie about mr chief justice to toby it doesn't do anything <laughs> it's really stupid um yeah and this leads into so finally when he is good enough uh, to to resume standing and, and you know can leave the hospital go back to they, work basically like yeah they he meets with the president the chief justice does and they have a talk one-on-one and where the chief justice argues basically like don't you fucking dare replace me because he's like here here's a here's a list of cool people who could replace me yeah and he l- rattles he rattles off a bunch of names and he's like and you can't fucking confirm one of them could you motherfucker <laughs> and Bartlett just has to sit there and be like ah <laughs> yeah well and he just it's great because you rarely get the thing where the president is just chewed out I mean in the last person who did it I believe if I'm not mistaken was also just a, an a, a outgoing chief justice of the Supreme Court you get a scene way back in maybe I don't know season right. two right or where he's like I w- where, he's like I wanted a liberal and I yeah, got you and I got you which is <laughs> right 
devastating own. <laughs> and we applauded that man at that time, and we are now applauding this man at this time for also tearing into Bartlett correctly and accurately, uh, <clears throat> saying that any one of the fucking ambulance chasers you could get confirmed isn't better than me on one of my worst, worst days. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I have good days and I have bad days, and the shit you could get past is worse is worse than my bad days. <laughs> I'm. This is going to be a brief digression, but I'm reading, uh, it's a fantasy series called The Stormlight Archive, and one of the characters, the key thing about the character is that he's the smartest man in the entire universe on good days, but he's the dumbest man in the universe on bad days, and so he spends his good days working out like an extremely convoluted plan of all possible contingencies that will happen within like this universe mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to make it happen so that people are like it's beneficial to him mm -hmm. and his people but then on his bad days this his handlers have to keep him away from it because he'll fuck it all up because he's stupid <laughs> so it's like this is just this good. weird like yeah man like and just the the concept here of Joe Quincy and Toby, quote, coming together about mm -hmm. this guy is like, okay, uh, but I don't care. Let me see more of the chief justice shitting on mm -hmm. the president. Like, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and maybe learn from what he has to say. If you vest this guy with such gravitas and such mm -hmm. just a wonderful, loving thing, which they spend a lot of time in this episode doing, then, I don't know, listen to him or something. Maybe. Right. Well, and well, in a way, Bartlett does because they effectively punt on the issue. Um, and he effectively <laughs> just, he just, he just stays chief justice until he actually dies. Uh, when they, when they replace him, which is the only good episode in season five, when we get to the Supremes. <laughs> I think well, it's, it's obligatory to mention this every recording we have now, because we have to sort of keep ourselves and, you know, you dear listener, like at least while we struggle through these interim episodes to be like, down the road a ways. It's getting closer. The Supremes, <laughs> to, it's down there. To, yeah. We're in the real nadir of the show right now, definitely. Well, and this was part of why I wanted to do this as a two-parter, because Emma watched it with me, and she was just like, these two, you guys should do this. They're sort of a cliffhanger, so you should do these together, because they're just so bad. Oh, it's not sort of. It is definitely a cliffhanger, and we, we'll talk about that more, but for right now... Uh, any final thoughts on Chief Justice Man? Chief Justice uh, his Man. His, his rant against Bartlett is great. Uh, he makes his point clearly, and Bartlett must have just agreed with him because he he just lets him yes. go back to serving until yes. he dies. Yes. So, so basically, so we like fade out. I yeah, I think he was like, "All right, you know what? You on your worst days is better than whatever shitty guy I could get confirmed. So fuck it." And and like that's it because. And then, and I'll worry about it when you die. Yeah, because we won't hear about this guy anymore because the first episode then transitions into sort of what leads up to the eventual cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Into the shutdown itself. So yeah, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll discuss that plot. I was there. I was the first guy playing that punk to the rock kids. I played it at CBGB. Everybody thought it was crazy. We all know. I've never been wrong. 
and welcome back. The shutdown plot starts off obviously with budget negotiations that end up breaking down, which leads to the government shutdown. They're trying to get a continuing resolution passed, and the Republicans want, obviously, a bunch of spending cuts. And, uh, and tax cuts as well. Uh, this is where, so, when we, when we, way back in 20 hours in America, back when (laughs) Josh and Toby came out with their brilliant idea, because they sat down and they talked to a guy named Matt at the bar who only makes 55,000, and, oh, it's so hard to send my kid to college, oh, well, what if it could just be just a tiny bit easier, and they came up with their big idea of tax-deductible college tuition, not even free, just tax deductible. And uh, this is where it dies. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the fucking pre-negotiation for a continuing resolution. Not even a budget, a continuing resolution. Uh, and it gets fucking thrown out the window without a second thought. And and, jo- and Toby fights for it for like a second. And Josh doesn't even fight for it at all. Yeah, it's like everybody just kind of, kind of whimpers through this shit where it's just like... Oh, but what if? Uh, but they're, they're going to yell at me and and approval ratings. Uh, I, right. It's just it is it's the perfect example of like negotiating yourself before the negotiations even start, of just like self hamstringing yourself and fucking. So what I do like is so Angela's the one. This new character, Angela, is the one who's kind of being like hardball about it and being like, "Yeah, fuck it, just drop that shit." And uh, she brings up the the fucking Twitter liberal shit of like, "Oh, so what? Poor people are gonna be paying for rich people's college?" Dude, like, like, you're what? You are supposed to be the good one. Like, I. It's so stupid. Uh, but my my favorite little bit though is that she does bring up a really great point of like. Uh, like when when Don explains like well it was their big idea you know they had talked to this guy in a bar and she's like okay so what if that guy's daughter had fucking braces would they be pitching universal dental care like why is why does that make it the big idea yeah it's like there's <laughs> this just one guy that you talk to this one time and yeah. that's what's stuck in your i mean uh, don't, right. Don't get me wrong. Like, now, to be okay. fair, the show the show treated it like a big fucking deal at the time. Like you know, like this is the big you know when when Toby says to Josh like we can make college cheaper, it's treated like the biggest fucking idea in the world. Like it's it's treated like it's their fucking you know it's the key to re-election. It's it's everything in the world, and we just see it get fucking dismissed in this episode, and I love it. Well, and the I mean, just to kind of to relate it to today a little bit like can you imagine if this this show is pushing cheaper college as like something that everybody's worried about 17 years ago nothing Mm -hmm. has been done about it tuition's only gone exponentially (laughs) more expensive and uh wages have only stagnated (laughs) i just it's and And nothing's been done like we, we all know the the fallout of 2008 was four years after this show was filmed so like but it's just it's incredible that they just kind of brush this off as like oh well we had this this awesome awesome idea that we can't really say why it was awesome or why we might have guaranteed the left victories for like a decade or or, you know and we can't articulate 
why we did why why us big brain political geniuses couldn't come up with it on our own without having to talk to fucking Frank in a bar and you know God knows like the the wisdom of the proletariat here which I'm all about but like come on you assholes just fight for something like no they yeah. refuse <laughs> they, they completely they completely refuse and so the republicans are basically you know they're making all these demands and the democrats of course fold and just go fine <laughs> fine we'll accept like a one percent across the board budget cut just to get this stupid continuing re- resolution passed not even a full budget just one of those worthless continuous resolutions which by the way are all that happen now uh, yeah, like, I, oh yeah, yeah. Wow, that's it's like a what, super When's the throwback. last time we actually did a fucking budget? Yeah, no shit. That is that I dates do, I this do show. not know. Yeah. Uh, um yeah. So that's uh, uh, speaking of another thing that dates the show. At one point during the shutdown, Donna is taking a bunch of crap back with her cuz she's not essential enough. So she's not getting paid, so she has to be out of the building. And uh, Josh correctly asked, like, why don't you just, like, digitally take all the files back home, Donna? And Donna says, I don't have a computer at home. (laughs) That's adorable. It's 2004. Isn't that that fun? She doesn't even have, like, an iMac or something. Like, come on, Donna. this, This actually may be, like, I may be looking at this because I've lost all perspective. Because I was always big into tech. Like, my father worked with computers like in in the it actually does make sense for someone who's like donna who's from wisconsin and is not techie and doesn't like play video games or whatever to not have a computer at home at this point in time i mean it's not unheard of sure i I would say it's not unheard of but when i am it's it's rarer it is certainly becoming rarer and rarer as every year goes by sure at this point yeah so and when this was filmed i was 20 and so donna was what five six years older than me like certainly not yeah, like a generational like, difference. No, so she's much. like thirty at most. And but like in t- in two thousand four, I was like, I was pirating Xbox ROMs and distributing them on the college network. Like this isn't a time. I still just I don't understand. Like everybody had a computer, y'all. I. And and this again, this may be me speaking from a, a place of tremendous privilege. It's just it's a little jarring. I think it's it's a little bit one or the other. One, it wouldn't be unheard of for for someone Donna's age at this particular time to just not have a computer uh, at home. Until, but she's techy enough that she can work the one at work fine. So the, on the one hand, sure, not unheard of. But two, on the other hand, it does say something about this show's relationship with technology and the internet, where they're still treating the internet as this thing where, like, oh, just blogs and shit, and then eventually it goes from the internet to mainstream news, and then we care about it. Like, where they don't actually care about the internet itself yet. Where, so it's 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 part one and part the other, Well, I think. Um, I mean... I guess so. I, I did a real quick Google. There's a, a Statista page about this where it's just apparently in 2003, 61.8% of households in the United States had a computer at, at home. So let's call it okay. 63% in 2004, maybe based on this trend. So yeah, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll no, not imp- obviously not yeah, impossible. Not not impossible at all. But I'll give it to you it's again. Just, it's just very very quaint kind of line <laughs> nowadays <laughs> yeah. because. Like, everyone has a computer in their goddamn pocket. Um, Yep. So, yeah, that's kind of funny. 
So also during this whole shutdown, real quick, I just want to bring up, they introduced this new character, Mariana, this random assistant girl who's just kind of wandering around picking up trash for the most part. And Wait, everyone, hang, and like, hang on, hang on, point, hang on. We're, we're getting way out of, we're getting way out of chron- uh, oh, chronological sequence. Can we even not even talk about I, the shutdown I don't think we even should. So basically the Republican, the Republican leadership ambushes Bartlett at the final meeting right. where they were going to agree on right. this thing. And Halfley. Evil, Evil Half- speaker Halfley comes in. Evil Halfley. <laughs> well, so and so the, it's very interesting. I think the the language that they all use to describe the terms on which they are bargaining. Um, so the White House comes out very much like a big technocratic line item level. Um, you know, percentage-based sort of like this is X billion dollars for Y program and whatever. And the Republicans are out here just going like, mm, what if we just spent 3% less on everything? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just slash it all. <laughs> just, just no, the, our conception of good governance is just, what if there's just less money everywhere? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everyone everyone can trim a little fat, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just trim the fat. Yeah. Just get rid of all which, all the fat from your budget. Which I feel like was that that phrase in specific was probably in common parlance around this time, where it's just mm-hmm. literally, oh, just Very couldn't much you so. just, you know, um, you know, take take a little bit, just a little off the top. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know, just clear, clear up some waste, some fraud. You'll find it. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. It's like, oh no, I'm I'm gonna need you to dig for that three percent. Like, just you know, you shuffle shuffle your files around. Look look industrious about it, and you can probably mm-hmm. come up with it. So they come you, back to them with with they want a three percent decline instead right. of a one percent decrease in right. spending. And le- like you said, done at the absolute last minute, like when they're in their final meeting to like sign the thing, mm-hmm. Halfley just goes like, no, instead of 1%, 3%. Uh, I, I really love that he jumps straight to three. Like yeah. two, <laughs> fuck, fuck two. We're going straight to three. No, and, <laughs> no go ahead. Now, it'd be the ultimate Democrat move to counter with two, yeah. but, but Bart, Bartlett doesn't do that. Um, <laughs> that would be great Bar- if Bartlett just like looked around and everyone goes like, we can go to two. And then they just go deal. <laughs> well, <laughs> that but, that would be the ultimate West Wing moment. Well, and so not not to like this isn't particularly material, but their solution is eventually to go back to them with two. <laughs> in, the in essence, episode, they say in essence, yeah, uh, two would be okay. It's just like ah, it's more like one with a bunch of concessions. But yeah, uh, but they, it's it's so pathetic, and so. To, to be fair, Bartlett at least does the proper thing when you get fucking screwed the last minute and it's don't fucking take the deal. Yeah, and absolutely. And so he's, he actually does the right thing. So points for the show. He, he has done both the politically smart thing and the in-character thing of not just rolling over and, and taking Halfley's fucking bullshit. Now, I have to dock those points and then a bunch more for the show because stylistically, all of a Oof. sudden, the show decides to commit its biggest sin it's ever committed, which is... So, the dramatic moment is, of course, when when Bartlett says no to the deal and Halfley's like, well, if you say no to the deal, then the government's going to shut down. And Bartlett just goes, then shut it down. And like, that's fine. Perfect. Great moment. Sheen delivers it with enough gravitas. You can end right there. But instead, 
<laughs> and we'll put the clip in. The show decides to do that thing where it cuts to three different angles of the scene. And as each angle cut happens, there's a boom, boom, boom. So we'll put the clip in right here. <laughs> It's just so... It's, <laughs> it's some fucking Kitchen Nightmares reality show bullshit. Like, this is the thing that happens when Gordon Ramsay's like, No! We have to shut the fucking kitchen down! It's a disaster! Doom! Doom! And, like, you get a long look at his face when he's not speaking. It's like it's like ten-second shot of him just staring with fury. And yeah. after he's delivered yeah. this, you zoom, zoom, zoom. It's like, yeah. Jesus it's Christ. So, it's so cheesy. And the show has never done this sort of, like... We used to mock the show for, like, relying on music to, to, to try to, like, make the viewer know how to feel. And, and like, this, that is subtle as shit compared to this. This is the sound equivalent of taking a fucking sledgehammer and hammering the viewer in the head going, do you get it? Do you get it? It's important. <laughs> yeah, and that, the only, like, for some reason the thing that stuck with me is that the um, Battlestar Galactica, the remake, used to do little episode clip previews in the credits and i don't know why maybe it was a sci-fi channel thing or something but there's a thing at the end of the credit sequence where it goes and i'm just like this is it to a t we are making it seem extremely important it's just so funny it's so silly and like that that's the that's the biggest laugh i had these episode that wasn't intentional (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> that the episode did not want to engender. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! And so, it it comes back in, and they like they they. If I'm not mistaken, they fucking they, do it again, right? Yeah. So no. Ugh. So okay. So they do it a different way in the second time. So that's the end of the first episode. Is the is that the and then so the second one it picks back up. It plays that scene again. This time without doing that part without the bum bum bums. But then later on. Before we actually go to the credits, we have Leo say something along the lines of like, well, it's going to be shut down. And they do bum, bum, bum <laughs> again, again. again. <laughs> I and okay. Uh-huh. So like <laughs> stylistically, like I just your your note here is is frankly perfect because to be like to be completely honest, it has become so hyper normalized that like we haven't had a budget in what is it, 11 years now god, god only knows i actually don't know the answer but yeah yeah we just we just run off continuing resolutions nowadays let's see the last budget anyway i'm gonna have to google harder on this but so like it's it's become so hyper normalized that it's like you wrote here like your note was perfect it's like do you remember when a shutdown of the government was dramatic like <laughs> yeah yeah like <laughs> particularly and this this one lasts like all of four days we've had ones that go like two weeks and people don't give a fuck and and frankly i'm sure there are quite a few people who give a fuck as they miss paychecks and have to like of course you know rearrange their lives but at the same time it's just like this is so de rigueur in today's politics like the the fucking the the fiscal cliff the fucking um all Mm. these things yeah always threaten a government shutdown i feel like it's every like nine months every 
Yeah, every every year or so, there's some sort of situation with like the debt ceiling or the budget or something like that 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 threatens a shutdown, and we end up having them, you know, like a good twenty percent of the time now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're they're like such a fairly regular government occurrence at this point that people just assume it's how the government is supposed to operate. Which segues and, perfectly into kind of like um, I don't know. So the uh, I was thinking of a bigger ideological point because I can't remember what other podcast was talking about it this week, but basically like the concept that the government doesn't do anything has been, has been self actualized in the course of obviously since the Reagan revolution, like mm-hmm. since Reagan yeah. came into office, because, it's been 40 because years. The, the things the government actually does competently are mostly invisible to the average person, you know, things like making sure your water runs or, when it fails to do that, like Flint, Michigan, it just fails on such a massive level that we just ignore it effectively because I don't know, there's other things to focus on. Or, and like the idea that the government couldn't fix Flint with like the snap of a finger, like could in, in two strokes of a pen, Flint could be fixed. Like it's, but we all, we all know that won't happen. So, so, so we kind of are just, we're swathed in this, like just numbing blanket of understanding that the government is just predetermined to fail. And a lot of it is stuff like this, where it's like, you know, this is, it's played up and played up and played up. And then like, spoiler alert, nothing actually concrete really comes out of this episode of this show. And there are these things that are like ticking off laundry lists of stuff of what happens when the government shuts down. And some of it, I'm like, uh, okay, cool. But then it's like, <laughs> this, this speaks to my sort of cynicism on it. They say, well, gosh, guys, the EPA has suspended 60% of their factory inspections during the period of the shutdown. I'm just like, <laughs> the EPA does factory inspections? <laughs> wow. You know, <laughs> they- they happen all the time. Yeah, and, uh, they, they totally, they totally fixed all the problems. Yep, and and the EPA definitely works really well now. That it's been just slashed and gutted for you know multiple consecutive administrations. Anyway, uh, uh, I'd rant love to over. live in the world these people live in, where yeah, it's just ridiculous. And yeah. Uh, to go back to the point I was going to now that we're there now, uh, so most of the staff has been dismissed. Uh, Donna has to go home. Almost everyone has to go home. Uh, we um, CJ's assistant, um, main Carol. One, the name, thank you, Carol. The name was blanking on me. Yeah, even Carol has to go home, and she's like, she does it. She's like, I have to go home, and she's like, I don't know. It's funny. I, I can't remember what the line it. is, but she's just, she's just like, but she, I don't... she's just like in the middle of helping CJ, and then goes like, and I have to go home too, and then just like leaves. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an about face, walk out the door type. Of... <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, the, the the only bright spots in this episode are CJ a little and Abby. Uh, I'll talk about Abby later. But uh, first, there's this random new character introduced who's just like going around picking up trash. And she, she says she's some assistant from someone who, quote, her program wasn't affected by the shutdown, unquote. Where And she doesn't say what program it is, which is really weird, uh, especially when Toby asked her. And she recognizes Toby later, and she's like, she wants to write up in her personnel file. Is this girl CIA? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Or do why, we have why is in- she hanging around? Why is she hanging around senior staff hoping to hear what they say while she quote unquote picks up trash? It's extremely weird. And I think like before, you know, we started recording. So the actress's name is Melissa Marsala. We don't have anything against her. She was in uh, Bringing Out the Dead with Nick Cage, which is a utterly bizarre movie that I love. Um, but it's just why? Yeah, I, it's so weird. Yeah. So they, she's just around <laughs> now. She's just around. She's not even like I I want to say she's attempted comic relief where she makes a dumb joke with Toby at some point of like, haha, AmeriCorps, they pay you to volunteer. Isn't that weird? Pay to volunteer. I'll be here all week. Try the veal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and tip tip your servers. <laughs> and but it, it's just like it is pretty obviously like. I don't know. And we were talking through this originally and I still agree that it's it's basically just it's a it's a TNA thing. It has to be because like, like the only thing is that she's cute, she's dressed in like a pretty short skirt and she fucking waggles her ass as she leaves the room every time. And there's like her and again, this is sort of male gazing. They show like, to, they show Toby checking out her ass and, and on one she, of them. So she has yeah. a low cut shirt which is pretty inappropriate. In the West Wing, like, you know, which I guess yeah. is fine, but it's just so jarringly unnecessary that you're just like, oh, okay, so there's like a, a serious new it's like she wa- character. It's, it's like she wandered off Riverdale or something <laughs> and like, and into the West Wing set. Like, she came off a different show and she's like, oh, hey, Richard Schiff, can I get an autograph? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know you guys are recording today. Holy shit. <laughs> And they're, they're like, oh, fuck, she's on camera. All right, leave it in. Fuck it. We'll dub it over with Toby's name. There we go. And so she's around and she gets two scenes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's more than she, almost more than Charlie gets. She gets like many, many speaking lines in this episode. And I think she will become a recurring character. This is not the last time we will see her. Because mm, okay. I, rem- I remember that. She ends up like being around from now on for at least a few more episodes huh. as like this assistant who's just kind of bopping around the place. I think we, we will see her more. Uh, I, I don't know if it ever has a satisfactory payoff of any kind or if they just like were experimenting with, Hey, let's add a new character. Why not? Hi, I'm Poochie the rockin' dog. <laughs> um, Precisely. Yeah. So let's take a brief break and then we can talk about how this all wraps up partially prompted by Abby Bartlett's return to the white house. Yes. So the crisis with the budget negotiations eventually ends up resolving after, you know, some back and forth and some some bullshit. Oh, oh we'll get know. to the resolution because it's stupid. But before that, but before that, we have the return of Abby Bartlett. Yeah. Who I think three episodes ago bailed out because she was so fucking mad at Leo and her husband. Yeah. Basically for for <laughs> killing uh, Sharif 
and thus in her mind endangering Zoe, uh, cause she kind of linked the two. But yeah, it's just fucking pissed. So yeah, she and Zoe have been hanging out in New Hampshire. There's a small subplot that we haven't mentioned at all where Zoe's about to go on an interview with some oh, yeah. like hard-hitting journalist and CJ preps her a little bit, but we don't even see the interview or hear anything about it. So that's why we didn't bother bringing it up. Yeah, it's like 45 seconds of prep and then 45 seconds of an ostensible shot of this woman asking Zoe questions, but it's mainly CJ prepping her to take questions about the abduction experience and mm-hmm. it has really no relevance whatsoever Ze- to everything else going zero on. although i do want to bring up that charlie is upset that zoe's listening to like a oh, bunch yeah. of whiny girl rock music as he calls it and he's trying to get her to listen to quote unquote something with drums in it which is uh i i i was like it's skirting problematic but you're like no that's that's kind of racist <laughs> it's it's a little racist i think and also i mean frankly a little sexist yeah we're like what, what's what wrong with listening is... to, to zoe wanting to listen to whatever she wants to listen to you know, you can listen to i don't know you can listen to melissa etheridge you can listen to ani defranco no there's some fucking bangers uh, like fuck, no a man has to come in and, and tell you what yeah, you need to listen exactly. to <laughs> like that's absolutely yeah. what this is so i'd say it's more sexist than racist but yeah yes but also something either way with drums like it's just like it's the uh, hippity hoppity rap music like ah, jesus christ so yeah i just wanted to bring that up it's not no that subplot doesn't go anywhere and we don't even see the stupid interview lady um but yeah that's what zoe's been up to with abby so abby comes back in uh, spends a little time in the war room with the with the staff, you know, worrying about the budget thing. Goes up to the residence where Bartlett's making a PB and J because the the fucking mess hall is <laughs> like he's <laughs> always making sandwiches. <laughs> always they love making sandwiches. Well, you know why? Because actors want something to do with their hands. That's true. Uh, Actually, that is, you're right. That is 90% of the reason why anytime a scene is in a kitchen, one character is always cooking or making something or cleaning or doing something. Actors love to have something to do with their hands because otherwise they're like, what? Otherwise they're like, what do I do with my hands? And they're thinking about it all the time. <laughs> it's Alec, Alec Baldwin walking into the <laughs> yeah. room with two coffee. Cups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, Abby goes to him and into the him in the residence and within the span of like 60 seconds just fucking straightens him whole, whole out and is like what the what are you doing go down there into the war room and tell them your plan and work out a fucking plan together you can't just like brood up here because halfly screwed you over you have to fucking go develop a counter response to it and he's like oh okay i i guess i'll go be the president again and it's like okay well, thanks abby <laughs> Well, there's quite a bit of him brooding, too, because there's another scene where Leo drops in to talk to him, and he's watching Notre Dame basketball Right, and he won't do TV. shit. Yeah. And he won't do shit. It's just like, well, what the fuck, dude? Right, like, That's which is why Leo calls Abby, because even Leo's like, I yes. can't even fucking get through to him at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't understand why he takes it so hard over, like... Something Like, the Republican screwed you. You should be prepared for this every day that ends with a Y. Yeah, no shit. And also, white, I just, I think there is a fundamental, it's a fundamental ideology in the show of the, our, our, uh, our main characters being upset when the Republicans don't act the way that they yeah. should be expected to. Yeah, act like, like an opposition party. Yeah, yeah. Like, there is no 
comedy between the two parties like you guys and that's I think this is at the root of the problem that this show has spawned in our government. Remember just a few episodes ago where after John Goodman left they they thanked the Republicans for being so bipartisan and then the Republicans immediately screwed them on something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is why you don't thank them for being bipartisan. Yeah. They aren't. You're all you're always going to be sad because they are playing to win. You are playing to have things be the same, which is... <laughs> have both sides agree. Just, it's it's fundamentally bankrupt. So anyway, the Abby pulls Bartlett out of his sort of funk, mm-hmm. and then... Josh is the one who ultimately engineers the resolution to the shutdown, which, let's get into it, because, who boy, this is some stupid oh garbage. God. So... so they, they plan to go meet with the Republican leadership on the Hill. That, that in and of itself, is not that dumb, nor dramatic, nor whatever. How they do it is where it gets stupid. Go ahead. Well, so they're taking the motorcade over, and President Bartlett decides to get out of the car, like, you know, a few blocks shy of the Hill. To stop, he, he decides to stop the car, and then he, yeah, he goes out and starts taking some questions from some randos who have gathered there because you know the presidential motorcade's going by. Yeah, so he talks with them, and then Josh goes up to him and says, "Well, you know, it's only like a five or ten minute walk to the Capitol building from here. What do you think, you know, about taking this on foot?" Oof, and boy. President <laughs> Bartlett's like. Okay. okay. Yeah, he's like... Cool, uh, I could go for a walk. Yeah, and so, like, it's treated like this awesome, big power move or whatever that that not only do they go to the hill, but they walk there physically. They Which wa- is... I And honestly, whenever I try to think about and remember why this is important, it skips my mind because... I cannot figure out why it's important that they walk. I don't why that part. I can't what explain is, either. I can explain the rest of it. I can't explain the yeah. walking part. And I came, I came around on that. Like when you told me, so anyway, they walk to the Capitol and show up for this meeting. And the, for some reason, even though it takes, I guarantee you, it took that five to 10 minutes longer for them to show up. For some reason, the Republicans are not ready or prepared for them to be there. Well, it's well, it's it's part that, and it's part Halfley thinks it's like a total power move to make him wait, uh, or something like that, uh, or they're scrambling. Yeah, it's unclear. Uh, but no, he, he doesn't. Halfley's like, we can't go talk to him without having a game plan. Yeah, Halfley on our is scrambling. Yeah, Halfley is scrambling. And then uh, the other leadership is like, yo, we have to go get hit, talk to him. He's the president. You don't leave the president waiting. And Halfley's like, no, 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 we got to think of a plan. And so they take seven minutes to think up a plan of like what they're going to pitch as their budget idea. And by the time Halfley's like, okay, fine, we have a plan. Now let's go meet him. Uh, he's left. He's walking away. <laughs> the president has just bailed out. Yeah. Which... And so they let and they let the cameras film him for the entire and I and I quote from the show seven minutes he waited he waits seven minutes and the the show acts like the Republicans making him wait this long is such a huge breach of decorum that they have instantly lost all all goodwill from the public like their leverage evaporates because the president had to sit on a bench for, for a while. seven minutes for seven minutes. And, and, he walked, played, and he walked half a mile. 
I just, I, I don't care. Like, who cares? <laughs> who gives a shit? And but in the real so world, somehow, no one would fucking care. But in West Wing universe, this gets rid of like all the Republicans' leverage, brings them back to the negotiating table in quote unquote in good faith or whatever, and then Halfley and President Bartlett fucking talk out a deal in the Oval Office. Yeah. And that's um, how we get our resolution. <clears throat> and it's it's just so stupid. This entire fucking final, like, 10, 12, 15 minutes of the episode is just so stupid that this idea works and that the show treats it with, like, such gravitas and pomp and import. Yeah, and so eventually, and it's, I mean, there is a small technical kudos to being, like, Instead of meeting on Capitol Hill turf, they bring the speaker to the Oval Office and they have this kind of showdown complete with fucking historical trivia. Because what would the goddamn a meeting with President Bartlett be without pointless, like, bloviating about American history? Right. Yeah. The guy even points out, like, that the Oval Office is designed to be intimidating for everyone who's not the president. And, okay, Cool. So apparently, like that, they we see them. Actually, excuse me, we, we don't, don't see <laughs> yeah. them. We don't see shit of the actual ag- agreement. Like come to an agreement. Yeah, yeah. we don't we, see them do anything. It all happens off screen. We see them fight back and forth in a really dumb way, where Halfley just says Republican talking points, and Bartlett counters them with you know liberal talking points. But we don't actually see them make the sausage, you know, as it were. But yeah, and but then so Bartlett comes this is out. Told to us, right? Well, and that like there's some back slapping and hugs all around. Right, Bartlett comes out and he's like, "We we did it," and they're like, "Oh, you got a continuing resolution, sir?" He's like, "No, no, we got a budget, bitch." <laughs> well, and what is conspicuously absent is. There's no mention of, like, the percentage to cuts or the details. Uh, but he, sa- he says, like, uh, they, like, you know, in true compromise fashion, they don't get everything they want. They don't get college tuition tax deductible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get, like, a, a college tuition tax cut or something. Or, like a credit, maybe? Or, yeah, or something. He's, which Bartlett is like, well, if you can sell it as a tax cut, Republicans love tax cuts. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, but you can't tax cut everything. At some point, you actually do need to spend money or collect revenue. And I was, I was just going to say, like, it seems to me, like, self-evidently here that Democrats also seem to love tax cuts, Indeed. motherfucker, because you keep resorting to them because they're they're easy and they're popular and th- not only are they popular with poor people they're really popular with rich people <laughs> everyone yeah. everyone loves a tax cut <laughs> and so this is the conclusion like there's yep. some hugs and handshakes and blastback yeah. kudos all around yeah exactly and that's it and that's it we got our a big win supposedly although we also compromised and we uh, and we dealt with Republicans fairly, you know, a, a true West Wing victory all around. And I mean, just it always comes back to the fact that for me, nobody ever stakes out the correct negotiating position, which is to say, how about we spend three percent more on our pet issues? Now, what do you think? Mm hmm. Yeah. Because now, now, how does neutral? How does zero percent sound after that? 
Yeah. And it, it just, like, why? And uh, they, they, they're always justifying the lack of that position by blaming it on approval ratings. It's always approval ratings. Never mind that fucking senators, Congress critters, the Speaker of the House, they also poll ha- have and give shit a shit about approval rating. ratings. Yeah. Yeah. And Congress has a shit approval rating and it still does whatever the fuck it wants to do. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And, and again, the Republicans are always playing to win. They, they, they play to win. They start their negotiations from the ludicrous. Right. And, and they ha- dial back to the merely insane. And they like, have ideas and plans that they want to pursue. They have an end goal in mind. Whereas the Democrats don't. And they just want to fight for the status quo. And that will always leave you in a position of weakness against people who are attacking it. Because you, yep. need, to, you need to propose improvements to the status quo. But they, they never go that far. Because they don't want and, it. One, they, they spend all this time declaiming the status quo itself, saying, oh, this isn't working for regular Americans. Okay, what fucking, what do you think does? What, like, do you got any big ideas that you don't have to literally, like, expository <laughs> well, dialogue out of Frank in a bar in Des Moines? I was about like, to say, they had one big idea and it got scrapped this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So there you fucking go. Like that that's the real problem of the show is it at the moment when it came when they came up with the idea, they treated it like it, it was the biggest, bestest, greatest idea in the history of ideas. And then this episode it's just fucking tossed out like yesterday's garbage. Yeah. So clearly there's no commitment to that. Clearly there's I mean, there isn't half a fucking like negotiating brain amongst the entire White House staff. And we keep seeing Sort of, we mentioned it last time we recorded, we keep seeing this little blurring of these characters into mouthpieces of convenience, mm-hmm. which yeah. sucks. Like, Where Josh and Toby are all over the map again We've lost in this all, episode. Yeah, we've lost all character, uh, which is why I kept saying that Abby is the only refreshing breath of fresh air in the entire episode, because only Abby acts like how Abby is supposed to act. Everyone else is all, all over the place. And I don't necessarily think that's bad because the show went to great pains to give her a reason and an animus for acting the way she does. Now, the Zoe kidnapping thing is like completely out of left field right. in the show's canon. Well, but in, hey, in, guess in, what? It, yeah, she's reacting how she should react to it. Correct. Exactly. And we and I, I have no qualms with using that to the show's advantage. Great. Put it to use. Right. As long as the characters act the way they're supposed to, you can throw whatever at them. And and we'll watch because we want to see our characters react to whatever. But they have to react in a way that makes sense to us. And at this point, we have four years with these characters. You have, you know, the audience is going to realize when they're not acting the way they normally act. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be like having, you know, like a, like a, what, one of the, <laughs> like, when they've, when they killed original RFK and replaced him with a body double that now spits the liberal talking points that <laughs> the Chuds hate, you know, and, and Q is talking about this. It's just like, look, I can tell when you've put a doppelganger in this character's place because for several seasons, you did a great job of writing a character. Mm-hmm. Cool. And now it's just, there's this weird, like this weird kind of what's what's the word like there's an uncanny valley Bingo. going on yeah where it's like oh you're wearing a toby suit whoever you are yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but yeah i think that that mostly does it for our discussion of these two particular episodes any final thoughts 
Nope, I think that's about it. Excellent. Well, thanks as always, everyone, for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. If uh, you follow us on either of our threads, feel free to drop a comment. Uh, th- thoughts, feedback, always welcome. If you found the show a different way, hello, welcome. You can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is always nice. And uh, we'll see you next time to discuss the next episode of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. But don't ask me to come on.